Welcome to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. I am your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to tune in again this week. You know, in these difficult times, we have a number of resources, a number of free resources, I should say, that are available to you. You could visit our website at retirementlifestyleadvocates.com and subscribe to our Portfolio Watch newsletter. That newsletter is delivered every Monday at 5 o'clock p.m. Uh, We also have a webinar coming up this week. If you'd like to get more information on this educational webinar, simply visit rescueyourretirementwebinar.com, rescueyourretirementwebinar.com, and there will be information posted there as well. Joining me on today's program is an old friend of mine, Mr. Ian Gordon. I think I uh, first met Ian about uh, 10 years ago when I was introduced to his work when he was actually heading up the Long Wave Group. Ian is since retired, and uh, this past week I managed to pull him out of retirement for a half hour to have a conversation with him about what's going on in the financial markets and what's going on with monetary policy. Some of the things that Ian talked about nine and ten years ago are now coming to pass, so I know you're going to enjoy my conversation with him. You know, uh, we are entering a time, I believe, of significant financial transition. And over the past couple of weeks, I've given you a quote from the author Eric Hoffer that I thought was very appropriate or is very appropriate. Mr. Hoffer said, in times of change, learners inherit the earth while the learned find themselves beautifully equipped to deal with a world that no longer exists. I think that describes where we are now as far as financial markets are concerned. This past week uh, in the Portfolio Watch newsletter, I noted that most financial markets are now artificial. Now, what do I mean when I say that financial markets are now artificial? Well, they've been moving in this direction for a very long time. Former Federal Reserve Bank President, uh, the Dallas Federal Reserve Bank President, Richard Fisher, about four years ago was being interviewed after he retired from the Federal Open Market Committee, which is the board that makes monetary policy decisions. And he said that the Fed dumped a trillion dollars into the stock market, and the end result was they juiced the market. So that's certainly creating an artificial demand for stocks. One of the primary drivers of the bull market from 2008 to the beginning of this year was stock buybacks by many big companies, companies that would go out and, in many cases, borrow money extremely inexpensively in order to buy back their shares to increase earnings per share. So that's also artificial. But now, in response to the coronavirus situation, there is a package that has been passed and put into law called the CARES Act. And the CARES Act changed the financial rules to allow for even more money creation. See, prior to the CARES Act becoming law, the Federal Reserve, which is the central bank of the United States, and if you're a new listener, the Federal Reserve the Central Bank of the United States is comprised or made up of 
private bankers. It is not a government agency. It's been about 106 years since Congress and then President Wilson gave private bankers control of U.S. monetary policy. Well, the Federal Reserve now has some new powers in conjunction with the U.S. Treasury. See, prior to the CARES Act becoming law, the Federal Reserve could only purchase investments or securities that were government-backed. So they could purchase U.S. government bonds and U.S. government-backed mortgage securities. Now, the CARES Act changed the rules to allow the Federal Reserve to loan money to the U.S. Treasury, and this loaned money would be obviously freshly printed or newly created money, and the U.S. Treasury would borrow money from the Federal Reserve in order to go out and purchase corporate debt securities. And to do this, they're going to use something called a special purpose vehicle or an SPV. Now that in and of itself is a huge dramatic change. However, within a week of that change, the Fed also announced it would begin the direct purchase of junk bonds, despite the fact that it seems the central bank has no legal authority to do so. So monetary policy change is as extreme as the policies themselves are extreme. And despite the Fed's venture into purchasing junk bonds, it seems that there will still be a record number of defaults on lower quality corporate debt issues or junk bonds. MarketWatch reported on April 17 that Bank of America analysts called the Fed's announcement last week to start buying riskier assets, and I'm quoting, bold, surprising, and reflecting its commitment to respond forcefully to signs of dysfunction in the key corners of U.S. debt funding markets. Bold, surprising, and reflecting its commitment to respond forcefully to signs of dysfunction. What are these signs of dysfunction? Well, these companies are buckling under their own debt. Just recently, Frontier Communications Group, LSC Communications, and hospital operator Quorum Health Corp., just in April, defaulted on a combined $14.3 billion of junk bonds. That's up from $4 billion earlier this year. So what's going to happen? The Fed is going to print money and buy up these junk bonds. But in spite of that action, Bank of America analysts said that we'll still see junk-rated U.S. companies default at a rate of 21% over the next two years. Well, that gives you an indication of how dismal the financial health of many smaller and already distressed companies really is. J.C. Penney, according to Forbes, skipped a $12 million interest payment that was due on April 15. Business Insider said that the company is considering bankruptcy. Now, regardless of what you think about the constraints in place in an attempt to contain COVID-19, I'm talking purely about the economic impact. 
even if these constraints were to be immediately lifted, and they will not be, the second quarter of this year, economically speaking, is without a doubt, it's it's a hundred percent consensus. This will be the ugliest quarter, economically speaking, in U.S. history. Morgan Stanley said, "Whoops, we got our first estimate wrong. Instead of a second quarter GDP drop of thirty percent, we now think it's going to be closer to thirty-eight percent." Morgan Stanley also said, "We have not seen a drop like the drop we're going to experience." any time in U.S. history. Yet despite this, despite this looming, devastating economic news, over the past four weeks, stocks have rallied off their lows. So what's going on? Well, markets never go straight up or straight down. I will talk to you a bit in the last segment of today's program why I believe stocks have been rallying despite the economic news getting worse. And one of the reasons is that markets at this point, as I said, are artificial. But there's more, and I'm going to give you a forecast that not only I made back in 2011, but is now actually being confirmed by many other bright folks. Now, as I close this segment, let me remind you, if you're just joining us, we've got a couple resources I'd like to draw your attention to. One, you can go to the website, retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. And you can subscribe to our Portfolio Watch newsletter there. That is a free newsletter delivered every week. We also have another educational webinar coming up this week. You can learn more by going to rescueyourretirementwebinar.com. The website, again, is rescueyourretirementwebinar.com. I'll be back after these words with Mr. Ian Gordon. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Joining me on today's program is returning guest Ian Gordon, for those of you that have been longtime listeners to my program, you'll probably recognize Ian's name as someone that I actually had an opportunity to interview probably about 10 years ago initially, and uh, uh, we've talked uh, periodically since then, and uh, uh, we've got him uh, basically in retirement at this point, uh, but uh, still tracking what's going on economically speaking worldwide carefully, and uh, Ian, thanks for taking a break out of your retirement and talking to us on today's program. Yeah, it's a big it's a big break I have to take out of my retirement. I'm looking at uh, my lakes and the trees in front of me and you know, very happy to be with you. Well, thank you so much. Well, Ian, back uh you know, almost 10 years ago, I would say when the when the Fed started printing money, printing paper money, um you at that time explained that you know, the the economy moves in seasons. It always has moved in seasons and uh, that this printing of money would have a bad ending. And it, it appears that uh, that ending is now starting to emerge. Uh, give the listeners your take on where things are economically as we record this program on the 23rd of April. Well, I think we're in the, in the final stages of, um, of, a worldwide fiat money system, which is uh, effectively um, run and controlled by the United States through uh, the dollar's uh, domain as the as the world's reserve currency. So 
I really think that, you know, this is the end of it. The, the fiat system is coming to a close, as they always do. I mean, this is the thing that people have to understand is, you know, this isn't unusual for a paper money system to entirely, you know, collapse and have absolutely no values. You can go and look at places like Zimbabwe or Argentina and and, and uh, many places where, you know, the paper money system has, has ceased to function. And this is a, what's happening now on an international level. Uh, the whole system is starting a collapse. And the central banks, uh, particularly, you know, the leading central bank is the Federal Reserve. The central banks are desperate to try and keep it going. So they're printing money uh, ad infinitum. I mean, you know, I think the Federal Reserve's balance sheet now is uh, close to $5 trillion. In other words, it has printed $5 trillion to buy paper, worthless paper, whether it's U.S. debt, your corporate debt, uh, even perhaps ETFs in the stock market, uh, definitely uh, um, sub-zero, you know, debt that has uh, effectively is is worthless and so on. They're buying everything to try and to try and save the day. These are the last sort of desperate attempts to keep the paper money system alive, uh, but it's going. Now I remember a long time ago, Dennis, you asked, you said to me in an interview, it's probably seven or eight, seven years ago, I would think. Um, you said uh, Jim Rickards says gold's going to um, ten thousand dollars an ounce. What do you think? And I remember my answer, and, and I'm giving the same answer to you to, right now, is that it could be many multiples of that because the money that you're trying to value it in has no value. So if the dollar is worthless, which it's, it's going to be, Voltaire has always said all paper money returns to its intrinsic value, which is zero. So this is what's happening. We're in the final stages that there's total collapse. And we're going to go through a very difficult, dark period in in uh, economic and financial history throughout the world. Ian, I recently read a quote. I'd love to get your reaction. Uh, the quote was uh, from Patrick Wyman, and he said this, Crises like pandemics don't break things in and of themselves. They just show you what's already broken. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I mean... You know, if we get into the pandemic, I would I would say that it you know it it, it actually was um, uh, hoist on us, and I, and I I use that word deliberately, hoist on us after the system had already started its collapse. The stock market was already starting its collapse, and then we had the pandemic. So the, all that's happened with you know the uh, the pandemic, and let's call it so-called pandemic, has um, effectively hastened everything that was already in, you know, it, it, it had already started. The collapse had already started before the pandemic, you know, was uh, began, you know, whenever it was in early February. So, Ian, uh, obviously, to protect yourself, uh tangible assets are uh, a good idea. And, you know, there's been some times here lately that uh, it's been hard to find gold and silver. I know at one time you advocated um, mining shares. Uh, what's your what's your current take on mining shares? Um, 
Well, I'm you know I own I own mining shares, but let me say that I'm very skeptical that the stock markets will even survive a collapse in paper money because then how do you value them? Even though they have very valuable assets in in as much as they have their assets of precious metals, how do you value them when the money itself that we trade the stocks in has no value? So I don't know if the stock market is going to even actually function when the thing the collapse really occurs. Remember, they did close the stock market for four months at the onset of the of the First World War, and so uh, you know that's there. But I'm I'm saying that it doesn't function because you can't value anything uh, with a, a currency that has no value. So, Ian, and you mentioned the Fed's balance sheet. I, I think that the Fed's balance sheet uh, now has expanded. Uh, I read in the first four months of this year, they have printed as much money as they have in the prior 12. So that just, and, and, and now with the Fed, you know, printing money to directly buy junk bonds, and I mean, they're, they're pulling out all the stops here. Um, do, do, do you think they can keep this uh, system afloat for another short period of time, or do you think that uh, this year is it? Well, it's all a matter of confidence, right? I mean, that's really what it is. It's it's a matter of, of of confidence in the currency itself, and you know when people and this is really what hastens the demise of the value is when confidence is lost in the value of the of the money. So I don't know when the collapse is going to be, whether it's next week, next month, uh, six months from now. But I, I certainly believe that the collapse will occur within 12 months, um, because you can see the act of desperation that they're going through. You can also see the act of desperation that federal governments are going through. I, you know, I'm reading that um, the U.S. debt could increase by something like $4 trillion this year. I mean, you know, these are, you know, it's that debt is can never be repaid, never be repaid. So it's a matter of confidence, and and who's actually funding that debt? It's not, you know, people don't have any confidence in in U.S. debt anymore. So most people aren't basically buying buying U.S. debt. They may be buying, you know, short-term T bonds and so on. But I'm talking about the 10-year or the 30-year bond. They have to be funded by the money printing machine of the Federal Reserve. So once the confidence is lost in the currency then the thick collapse begins. People just won't accept uh, the, the currency as payment for things because they don't uh, trust its, its value. And that's what happens in Argentina, Zimbabwe, or wherever. So we can expect the same to occur not only in the United States, certainly here in Canada we can expect the same. Uh, we've got a government that's absolutely gone hog wild with the printing press in, in creating uh, debt. So um you know it's just uh, and it's just a matter of confidence and i believe that confidence is waning pretty fast 
Ian, one of the things that I've always admired about your work um, with the Longwave Group is that uh, you've been uh, such a student of history. And, uh, you know, we've talked in the past interviews about what's happened in, in France in the early 1700s under John Law and, and different times that uh, this, this cycle has emerged. And I think that a lot of people aren't aware that this is, you know, in the, in the whole scheme or, the, or in the context of world history, this is really not all that unusual. No, it's not. And I mean, actually, the John Law uh, paper currency scheme in France uh, is, I think, the closest example that we have, and it's not just me that thinks that, there's someone far uh, smarter than I am. His name is Alistair MacLeod, and I would uh, certainly tell people that if they, well, they can read him. I mean, it, uh, what he, he publishes is free. He just published a letter today, and he, he equates the well, what is occurring now in in the United States is is the final stages and very similar to the final stages of the collapse of paper money during John Law's time in France. Well, and many of our listeners had an opportunity to listen to Alistair McLeod. He was a guest here on the program about five weeks ago. So, uh, very very bright and very gracious man. So. Uh, um, we uh, just had the honor of talking to him. So let me ask you this, Ian: when when this collapse uh, completes, when it when, when we reach the culmination point, history tells us that we often have to have a new system under which to conduct commerce. What do you think that new system looks like? Well, I'm pretty sure that you know. Again, ba- this is based on my work, but eventually, the world will ret- return to a a gold-backed monetary system. And I think, you know, countries like China and, and Russia already sort of uh, supply, you know, gone and, and got the backing for their currencies in gold. Um, but, you know, that's really what happens. Paper collapses, confidence in the paper collapses, and we have to go something that people truly trust. And and gold has been money for 5,000 years. And I'm, you know, I'm really confident that eventually governments will have to resort back to some sort of uh, monetary system that people have confidence in. Well, we're going to have to leave it there uh, for this segment. Our guest today is Mr. Ian Gordon, formerly of the, uh, formerly, I should say, of the Long Wave Group, now uh, very graciously talking to us from uh, his retirement abode, and we will continue our conversation with Mr. Ian Gordon when RLA Radio returns. Stay with us. Welcome back to Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. I have the distinct pleasure of chatting again today with returning guest to the program, Mr. Ian Gordon. If you're just joining us, uh, Mr. Gordon uh, uh, has worked for many, many years studying uh, economic history. I was uh, first introduced to uh, his work uh, about 10 years ago, and I've had the pleasure of interviewing him uh, probably a couple times a year or so over that time frame. Um, so, Ian, let's just maybe jump back in on and talk about the history again a little bit, because, you know, taking a look at this whole uh, cycle of debt accumulation, which, you know, we've in the past talked about the autumn economic season, where it seems like prosperity is everywhere, but it's really a lot of debt-fueled consumption. And then we get to the winter season where we have a, you know, a deflationary time frame where, where the debt has to be purged from the system. 
Um, it seems like this time around that uh, the debt will have to be purged from the system, but it almost seems like we're going, um, you know, on a, a hyperinflationary bent where maybe we're going to have deflation in terms of gold, but, you know, hyperinflation in terms of the dollar. Is that a fair assessment of where you think we're going? Well, I, yeah, I think it is because um, in this uh, this particular time, we, I keep saying we are going through the collapse of paper money so that everything that that paper money purchases in, you know, once it's collapsed, you know, it has no value. So, so for instance, if, if you want to buy a, you know, a carton of milk or something, you know, how many dollars is that going to count it, uh, cost you in worthless dollars? I just don't know. I don't you know, uh, I think you'll start to see basically the, the whole the economy will freeze, you know, and 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 just won't function because the monetary system doesn't function. So yeah, you you know that in itself. I mean, there will be uh, hyperinflation, you know, because things you're paying for for things with a money that has no value, um, and. At that time, debt, you know, doesn't really get wrung out of the system. The, the whole banking system goes into collapse. Uh, you won't be able to go to your, your, your bank machine and get money out because uh, the banks won't be able to function because the money itself, the, the, the payer, purveyors of that money, just, uh, you know, that money has no value. I mean, this is the thing that people have to understand. It has no value. And because it has no value... If you try to pay for, buy something with money that has no value, you're going to have to pay some sort of extreme uh, amount of money for someone to say, okay, I'll accept that. I mean, you know, go, go, go and look at what Zimbabwe. How much would a pint of milk have cost in Zimbabwe when the Zimbabwe dollar was basically worthless? It would have cost thousands. Look at Venezuela. It would have cost thousands. Now it's going to be the same in the United States and Canada and Britain and everywhere. It's going to be the same. These things are going to cost so much because your value, the value of your currency is worthless. So, Ian, let's talk a little bit about... Um you know, what's going on now in the, the paper gold and silver markets and the physical gold and silver markets. Uh, we have seen over the past five or six weeks, particularly in the silver market, that there has been just a huge premium uh, placed on, on, on physical silver. So just a, a quick example, I think that uh, when the spot price of silver was $15 an ounce, the cheaper cheapest you could buy you know, the 90% junk silver coins, as they're called, you know, back when the United States minted coins, silver coins out of silver, I mean, you were paying $23 an ounce for those, and you probably are still paying in that neighborhood. Uh, do you think that you're going to continue to see that this big disparity and that, you know, at a certain point, this paper, silver, paper, gold will just uh, kind of fall by the wayside because it's, you know, nobody's going to want it, and we're going to see this, this premium continue to escalate? Thank you for calling it paper gold. Therefore, it will have no value. You know, we just said that. So, you know, the system, I, I think the COMEX and the London bullion markets are basically very close to collapse now. They don't have the gold to, 
which they which is being traded. They just don't. So if people want to physically take possession of the gold, the buyers in the paper market say, "Okay, now give me my gold." You know, I'm ready to take possession of it. They don't have that gold, to so they have to settle in paper. So eventually, the whole idea is, you know, the system, that system is collapsing too, and you know, these premiums for gold and silver. And I actually phoned uh, the gold dealer, uh, our local gold dealer, who's a very big. He's a very big purveyor of, um, of uh, Royal Canadian Mints. They, you know. Um, and he's, I said, so I want to sell some uh, maple leaves to you. What are you going to give me? He said, yeah, I'll give you a $40 premium for that mint, for that uh, one ounce uh, gold coin. And he said he and, and his partner have sort of been arguing as to whether the um, that sort of premiums, whether those premiums will continue to, to exist, his partner wants to kind of wait until the premiums are eroded. And I'm saying, I can't see how the premiums can be eroded. The demand for gold, um, it, 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 for both metals, but, you know, I'm talking more, I, I'm more, I've always been a much bigger believer in gold than I am in silver. Um, silver is poor man's gold, but I'm a much big, bigger believer that the really big money wants gold, but not so much silver. And um, I think those pre just the demand itself is forcing these premiums, uh, and they're going to exist because eventually you can't create enough gold. You know, you can't mine enough gold to satisfy the demand that's going to occur when the whole system is in a state of collapse. You won't be able to do it. And so... You're always going to have those premiums, and people who own gold are always going to get a premium when they want to sell it. But eventually, they're going to—they're not going to want to sell because the value, what they're selling and being paid for, is it doesn't have any value. So that why would you exchange your gold even for a million dollars if the dollar doesn't have any value? I don't know. I find it hard to do. So, Ian, let's talk a little bit of politics. I saw a story here that, uh, um, of course, uh, he was villainized for saying it. Um, and uh, I should also point out that I don't really have a horse in any political race here. I'm just a, uh, an observer. But Mitch McConnell, who's the Senate majority leader here uh, in the United States, uh, said that the federal government essentially doesn't have any money to bail out states, talking in particular about Illinois. And maybe they should just declare bankruptcy because they can't pay their pensions, they can't meet their obligations, they have unpaid bills. So you know, there's already some cracks in the foundation here as far as you know. Some some of the politicians are now starting to say, "Hey, wait a minute, we can't do this," and it, it's probably too little, too late. But you know, when you when you look at states like Illinois and Connecticut and Kentucky that that have extremely underfunded pensions. Um, you know, how does all this play out for those pension recipients? And, uh, you know, how do you think the politicians are ultimately going to react? Well, a long time ago, I used to have a, a long wave chart, and I put in the winter, pensioners will not get what they've been promised or will not receive what they've been promised. The whole pension scheme is dead. You know, it's not. You know, how are the insurance companies, for instance, managing 
They have to make seven or eight percent a year. How are they? They're not making seven or eight percent to to pay their obligations. They can't. So the whole system, you know, based because paper money, uh, paper money system, people have to is a debt money system. That's what paper money is. I mean, you go to the bank and you say, "Well, I just I'm buying this house." it's a $800,000 home and I want to put a half a million dollar mortgage on it. And the bank says, fine. So where did the half a million dollars that they pay the seller of that house, where did that half a million dollars come from? The bank just manufactured it. They just created half a million dollars and they created a half million debt to you and the seller of the house got half a million dollars of, of created money. All paper money is debt money. So the whole system is collapsing under a massive weight of debt, whether it's and, consumer debt, corporate debt, government debt. That's the system that's taking down the paper money system. That's the, sorry, the, the reason for the collapse of paper money is the debt. So, Ian, as we emerge uh, from from this collapse, uh, you know, it's it's circumstances like that that often we see political change. Uh, what's your opinion on, you know, worldwide? What 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 are we going to see happen politically? Well, you know, this is my view, and and I think the world is at war right now. And I think there are two factions in this war. In fact, your, the, your president said we are in, in an invisible war. He called it an invisible war. And I think that war is bef- between the internationalists and the nationalists. And the, the nationalists want to basically control their, their country and do the best that they can for their country, they're not have they have no concerns about you know having an international sort of uh, government that controls us all, much like the European Union controls Europe. And by the way, most those people that are in that European Union in the positions of control are unelected. Uh, so and the internationalists want to basically take international control over the whole thing so you have you have the you know the two sides are now fighting you had the the british voted for brexit they voted for nationalism when they voted brexit they wanted out and the government of britain uh essentially most of much of the government of britain wanted to stay in they were internationalists theresa may the prime minister following the Brexit vote after David Cameron resigned, was basically a Remainer. She wanted to stay in the European Union, and here she is negotiating on behalf of the British people. So she had she didn't have any in, inclination whatsoever to vote for Brexit. And I'm very much sure that Trump is a nationalist. He's very much in favor of doing the best he can for the American people and that America basically keeps to itself. That's why he wants out of wars and this kind of thing. Uh, you know, and I think Putin is a nationalist. He wants to do the best he can for the Russia and the Russian people. 
And I suspect that Trump and Putin are very close and are talking a lot more than people would give them credit for because they're of the same persuasion. And I think Boris Johnson, the English prime minister, is also a nationalist. Uh, when he took over after Theresa May resigned, and they kicked, well, they effectively kicked her out. And and he, he he's a nationalist, but he's got a whole bunch of people, as does Trump, who are internationalists that you know are are in the government. Who so that you know the, the, the nationalists that have to are fighting within their own states to try and uh, bring on this. So it's a it's a massive war that's existing, and Trump, as I say, calls it the invisible war. Um, I think it's, you know, when you can start to put a uh, sort of a picture to it, you can see really what is happening. It's, you know, two sides, one the international side, one the national side, are fighting uh, desperately against each other. Well, uh Thought-provoking conversation with Mr. Ian Gordon today. Uh, the clock tells me we've got to leave it there. Ian, thank you for coming out of retirement for a half hour today to join us on today's program. I would love to have you back. And, uh, thank you for having me. We will return after these words. Stay with us. I'm Dennis Tuberg, and you are listening to RLA Radio. Thanks again to my special guest today, Mr. Ian Gordon, for joining me on today's program. You know, as I close the first segment on today's program, I talked a bit about stocks and why I thought that the stocks, stock market had rallied over the past four weeks, despite devastating economic news that is looming. Well, in my view, this rally is really reminiscent of past stock rallies. The Fed, the Federal Reserve, announces more radical monetary policies due to deteriorating economic conditions, and stocks rally. Financial markets, as I noted at the outset of today's program, really are artificial at this point. You know, it doesn't make any sense for markets to be rallying, but I would liken it to markets reacting to more easy money the same way as an addict reacts to another hit. You know, short-term, the effect is positive. Short-term, you feel better, but long-term, it's extremely harmful. And the longer the artificial market stimulus is applied, the worse the ultimate crash will be. Now, back in 2011, I wrote a book called Economic Consequences. That's nine years ago. And then in 2015, when the New Retirement Rules book was published, I predicted a Dow-to-gold ratio of two or more likely one. Now, what does that mean? It simply means that if the price of gold gets to $5,000 an ounce, I would expect the Dow to drop to $10,000 or perhaps even more likely $5,000, as, ex as extreme as that sounds. I will say that many of my guests and colleagues uh, have influenced that opinion, including Mr. Ian Gordon, who was on the program today. Now, as crazy as that seem right, might seem right now, I still stand by that forecast. Now, however, unlike in 2011, it seems there's a more obvious path forward to that eventual outcome. Now, past guest here on the program, Mr. Jim Rogers, who is a billionaire investor, he was the co-founder of the Quantum Fund with George Soros. 
has the same perspective. In a recent interview with Business Insider, Rogers was asked if the current crash was going to be the big one. And here's what he said. In 2008, we had a very very serious problem because of too much debt. Since then, the debt has skyrocketed everywhere. So to me, it seems self-evident. The next one has to be worse than 2008. People seem to be surprised. Anyway, so yes, referring to the current crash, this is probably it. I'm sure the rally is going to be nice, Rogers said. It is already a nice rally. You know, governments all over the world are spending huge amounts of money, printing huge amounts of money. There's an election in November, so the rally will probably be nice, but it's not over. Now, when Rogers was asked how low stocks could go, this was his response. I can tell you in history, bear markets go down 50, 60, 70 percent. This is just history. This is not an opinion. And many stocks go down 80, 90 percent. Some disappear. That's just the way bear markets work. Now, I would add that it's important to remember that markets rarely go straight up or rarely go straight down over the long term. That's true of every market, including stocks. Now, my opinion remains that we are likely going to see some initial deflation. And then, assuming no change in monetary policy, we will likely have to see significant inflation. I have long advocated using a two-bucket approach to managing money because we don't know if the initial dominant economic force is going to be deflation or if it's going to be inflation. But now, based on monetary policy and all this money creation, we believe that we will probably ultimately have to see inflation. You want to be protected from both potential outcomes to the best you can be protected. That's what our resources will help you do. If you've not done so already, if you're not already a subscriber to Portfolio Watch, go to retirementlifestyleadvocates.com and sign up. It's free. You get an email every Monday at 5 o'clock. It will give you our take as to what's going on in the markets. It'll give you our forecasts. So again, the website, retirementlifestyleadvocates.com to sign up for Portfolio Watch. Also, if you would like to attend a free educational webinar talking about everything going on in the economy, financial markets, monetary policy, and what it all means for you potentially, go ahead and register for our upcoming free webinar. The website is rescueyourretirementwebinar.com. The website again, rescueyourretirementwebinar.com. That's all the time I have for this week. Glad you decided to tune in. I'll be back again next week.